of the Bible's greatest truths is that God not only wants us to believe him, but he also wants us to have a personal relationship with him. And this is true, it is so true for us, because God has done everything possible to make this a reality. Suppose you were asked if you believe someone famous existed. Uh, maybe it's a celebrity of some sort, a, a, a sports figure or something, and you go, sure, that person existed. There's uh, facts that show that. There's pictures, there's videos, there's people that saw that person and uh, lived with that person and knew that person. So yes, I, I believe that those people existed. But if you were asked if you actually knew that person, you would probably have to say, no, I really don't know that person. But even if you'd met them for a brief moment, said hi to them, shook their hands, and they walked on by, could you really say that you knew that person? The same is true with God. We can believe he exists, and we should, because many of the things that I just mentioned have been true. There were people that saw Jesus, they were with Jesus, they ate with Jesus, they walked with Jesus, they heard Jesus. But we also can know, we can know him personally. And when we do, we will know that he is with us always, and we can talk and listen to him in prayer and through his word. So how can you really get to know God personally? You see, there's one thing that keeps us from knowing him deeply, and that's sin. But Jesus came to erase our sins by his death on the cross. And as we open our hearts to him, he comes alive within us. And then we take that step from knowing Jesus to experiencing Jesus, experiencing his love. So it is possible to have a close personal relationship God, with God, but more importantly, God wants that to happen. You see, Abraham was a, great, a man of great faith, and James writes that he was God's friend. And then in John 15, 14, Jesus says to his followers, you are my friends. So my question is, how did you get to know your spouse, or how did you get to know your best friend? Did you hear of them before you actually met them? Or possibly you were introduced to them by someone else for the first time. But whatever the situation is, at first you only knew that they existed. You didn't really know them. In fact, maybe when you first met them, you really didn't even like them. Maybe it was because you didn't really know them. As you spend time with your friend or possibly your future spouse and you're around them more, your relationship or your curiosity about them begins to grow. Especially with your spouse, as time goes on, you spend more time together and your relationship begins to grow. And during that time, you purposely pursue one another. You laughed and you shared things that no one else knew about you. Eventually, you committed your lives to each other, and then in marriage, your relationship grows even deeper. I didn't say it grew perfect, but I said it grew deeper. Now, not only do you believe that he or she exists, but you have a close personal relationship. And that's how it is with God. 
Yes, you believe he exists, and that's a good start, but it's only the first step. You see, he invites you to discover who he is and how much he really loves you. So my question is, are you pursuing God? We hear in scripture that he is pursuing us, but are you pursuing God? He pursues us during our prayer time and through the pages of his word. He invites us to commit our life to Jesus Christ by asking him to come into our life. He wants not just to know you, but he wants you to experience his love. He wants to experience that love that he has for you and that to, to know that you are a child of God and to whom you belong. And that's not the end. Every day you can turn to God in prayer and you can hear him speaking to you through his word. As your relationship with him grows deeper, you experience the peace that passes all understanding. You leave all doubt and fear behind as he walks with you and his promises come true. Everyone that hears my voice will say that they know God. In fact, will agree that Satan knows God. And I guess in a roundabout way, you can say Satan has a relationship with God. It's not a good one. It's one of fear and trembling. So then the question is, why can we not deepen our relationship with God? The reason we have knowledge of God, just knowledge of God, or a shallow relationship with God is because we want to be free to do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it. So often in life we make decisions without worrying about God, without worrying about what he says is right and what is wrong with what we're about to do. Yet many have convinced themselves that this is the best way to live. I mean, after all, God wants me to be happy. And they often look at those that are believers and think they are enslaved by their faith. Well, there's a bit of truth to that, but you know what? Those that are not believers, in reality for them, they are the ones that are enslaved. They are enslaved to their own lust, their own pride, their sins. You see, there is no lasting joy and peace in a life that you desire to control yourself. So often we have to be honest with our emptiness in our own lives. We have a constant struggle to control and change the things that do not fit into our agenda. It's in our DNA to be a child of God. God loves you. He loves you so much that he sacrificed his son on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. So just for a moment, just if you can, just think back to, let's just make it a little one, a little bitty sin in your life. Something that you wish you hadn't said, something you wish you hadn't done. I want you to think about that for a second and then ponder this question. Do you have a relationship with the devil? Now think about that sin. You see, Jesus came to free you and to offer you a deep, loving relationship with him and with no other. You will never be the same once you experience the truth of God's never-ending, all-encompassing love for you. John 8, 36 reads, if the Son, S-O-N, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. 
Eternal life is expressed through loving relationships. The first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. How do we build a deeper relationship with God? Communicate with him daily through prayer. Stay in his word. Listen to what he is revealing to you and serve others. In other words, you need to get over yourself. You need to realize you belong to him. You need to repent of your sins. Deepen your relationship with God by having an abiding trust in God Almighty. Make the Bible God's love letter to you personally. Make your prayer life a time of hearing about what he is doing in your life and more importantly, what he's doing in those around you in their lives. Make these prayer times as a means to an eternal end. Being close to God is why Jesus spent so much time withdrawing from crowds and often from his disciples. He wanted to be alone with God. Think about this. Jesus, the son of God, became human for about 33 years on this earth. When he did that, he gave up in all those earthly years the nearness of an everlasting and intimate connection that he enjoyed with his father. No wonder he slipped away occasionally from the big crowds. Someone told me recently, they said, you know, you want to put Jesus in proper perspective? With what he did, he's a soldier that jumped on the grenade that saved your life. When you truly and totally give your life to Christ and experience a new birth, God's spirit dwells within you. And you should have a strong passion for life. God longs for a deeper closeness with you. And even more, he longs for that than you long for a deeper relationship with him. He loves you that much. Billy Graham started each day by reading five psalms and one chapter in Proverbs. He started there because he said the psalms helped him relate personally with God, while Proverbs provided principles on how to relate to people. When Mr. Graham could no longer read because of degenerative eyesight, he asked those around him if they would read each day and pray with him. Others said that while he could still read, he would carry the Bible, often opening it at random and reading a couple of verses. And he said he loved to take a sip of God's word throughout the day. It's a spiritual nourishment for him. What a wonderful way to stay connected with God. God makes changes in our lives and he empowers us not only to live a life fully, but also to live one that is pleasing to him. One of the truths that we must understand is who God is and how much he desires that relationship with us. Remember, all things revolve around God, the creator. In the beginning, before there was time as we knew it, God was, God did, and God created. He does not own us an explanation as to why. You see, that's why we have faith. Scripture makes it clear that there will always, always be God's and people's lives. 
There will be gods that we will follow from time to time, whether it's money, whether it's your job, whether it's something else out there that is of value to you on this earth. Yet God makes no apology that he is the God above all gods. There is none higher, and there is nothing that has been created that he hasn't created. Our faith is based upon the word of God and the anointing power of the Holy Spirit, and it's confirmed in our souls. I do not need to understand all about the God I serve because I take strength and comfort in knowing that God knows more than I can ever ever fathom. How simple life would be if we just let our struggles go and let God, who knows the answers, take care of them. Again, with our lips, we say he's in control, but by our actions, we do not always demonstrate that. Our God is in your life, and we should have a proper perspective that God loves you and wants the best for you. Then he becomes your God and that there are no other gods. Once you have a true relationship with God you serve, you will experience what he desires for you. You will live and just not exist in this world. Grab your Bibles, turn to the 121st Psalm. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is my keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your coming out. You're going out and you're coming from this time forever. God is in control of all things. There's a difference between knowing and experiencing God. So real quick, while you got your Bibles open, turn to Colossians 2, beginning in verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk with him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him with and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy of empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority." The difference of knowing and experiencing God is what is in your head and what is in your heart. There's a difference sometimes. You know, some people said that's the longest 12 inches in mankind, in man's history is between his head and his heart. Being able to get what is in your head down to your heart is the difference of whether you live out what you believe. Whether you walk the walk, whether you talk the talk, whether you truly repent and whether you trust God whether you live in humility and obedience to God. There's a lot of things that we know we should do and we shouldn't do, but we struggle with what's in our head 
of doing the right thing. Paul wrote that one, those verses where he said, I do what I know I'm not supposed to do, and I don't understand why I do that. It's one of the most confusing Bible verses I think you could ever read. But you know what? That's the way we live our lives sometimes. What has to happen is we have to be honest with ourselves and with God, and we need to actively participate in praying and reading and studying God's word. It takes this head knowledge to your hearts where we experience God in a deeper relationship. You see, then we begin to think like Jesus, we love like Jesus, we pray like Jesus, we worship like Jesus, we act like Jesus, and we respond like Jesus. Therefore, we solidly believe that God is sovereign, loving, gracious, merciful, and forgiving. One of the first truths to thinking like Jesus is to know and live with Jesus as your Savior and that you are a child of God. Again, there's a significant difference in knowing about Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus. All your thoughts, actions, virtues should come from that renewed heart and mind as you are empowered by the presence of God. God must take his rightful place in your life. He must take his rightful place in your life. Our faith is based upon the word of God and the anointing power of the Holy Spirit, confirming it to our souls. I do not need, as I said before, to understand everything that my God does, but I have my faith in him. It's never wise to do God's work man's way it may seem to make sense but so very often it's not the purpose of God you know it may not have seemed like a good idea for the people of Israel to walk around Jericho several times blow trumpets but the fact of the matter is the walls fell it may have been not seem like the smartest thing to do to pick the youngest son of Jesse's to be a king but he turned out to be a man of God's heart. And where's the logic in the choice of the 12 disciples? How that made any sense, yet Jesus took that ragtag group and dramatically changed the entire world. You will never outgrow, outpromote, or outachieve your need for God in your life. He is all-powerful and watches over us always. He truly desires to have a deep, loving relationship with us. So we should repent and pursue him, pray to him, worship him, and study his word, and you will find out how much he loves you and how much he desires to spend eternity with you. You know, you're still not going to be perfect. We, we all make mistakes. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but let me see what I can do with this. So there's a guy that hasn't seen uh, this particular lady in a long time. They went to high school together, hadn't seen her for a while. And she's walking down the street, and he recognizes her, and she appears to be with child. And so he walks up to her, and he says, how far along are you? And she says, I'm not pregnant. That's not one of those Southwest Airline deals, want to get away. There is no way that you can get out of that. There's nothing that you can say. There's no hole that you can crawl into. 
It's a horrible, horrible mistake. But you know, you can appear to be spiritually pregnant, but there's really nothing going on inside of you. A believer is not known by how well they act the part. They're not known by how well they shout, how much they know about the Bible, or how often they carry their Bible with them. Believers are not known by how much or how loud they say hallelujah or, excuse me, amen or praise the Lord. They're known by your faith in Jesus and because we love others. John 13, 35 says, by, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I'm going to begin to close out with two, two chapters or two verses that I want you to think about this week. This is a homework assignment for you. I want you to think about and pray about the two uh, verses, the two prayers that Jesus prays. And I want you to think about how he prays, what he prays, and the relationship he has with his Lord. So if you turn to your Bibles to Matthew 26, and I'll begin in the 36th verse. Then Jesus went up with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Jebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground, and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for an hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. He left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus was in great agony. He anguished over his physical pain, his separation from his Father, and the death for sins of the whole world. But yet Jesus' strength came from his relationship with God the Father. God was his strength and his source in a time of need. Jesus was not being rebellious, but he was revealing the terrible suffering and pain for the deaths of the world and the separation that he had from his father. Luke's gospel says Jesus' sweat resembled drops of blood. His agony is really beyond our comprehension. Certainly the disciples had to sense the intenseness in his voice and the urgency in his demeanor. You know, this was a great moment in time in human history, but yet three times, not once, but three times, they slept through it. The obedience and the comfort that Jesus had came from talking with his father and the relationship that he had with his father. 
So now I want you to turn to the 17th chapter of John. And Jesus is once again praying. He begins praying for his disciples. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given to me. For they are yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. If you'll skip down to the 20th verse. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and I are, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. What do those prayers say to you? What are they telling you about Jesus' prayer, about his relationship with his Father, about obedience, about emotions, about love, about mercy, grace, about the relationship that Jesus had with others, with those that he called friends. Lorena. There are many teachings that become religions, and they are man-made. They are man-made approaches to our earthly problems. They are based on man's idea. They are based on man's experiences. They're not based on God's truth so often. In fact, rarely are they based on God's truth. So as we go through this next week, may you allow God to renew or change your thinking about the truths of God. God is calling each of us to a deeper relationship, a deeper prayer life with him. He wants each of us to be the person that he can take to those sacred moments that Jesus had with his fathers as he was surrounded by angels, I am sure, giving him strength. Jesus wants to take you to those moments. He wants that relationship with each of us to have that garden moment with him. If you remain alert during your prayer time, Jesus will share his heart with you. Make your prayer life an avenue to a deeper relationship with God. Seek to experience him fully. Seek those opportunities to be his vessel to get out of his way, to get over yourself, to remove yourself from his agenda. And don't do as I have done before where God comes up with a great idea. I think this is wonderful. And so we start walking that path and guess who has a better idea than God as we go halfway down the path? And God lets us go. He doesn't walk away from us, but he lets our free will reign. It is so much easier to stay in his will with everything we say and everything that we do. And you understand that better in your prayer life. So find that quiet spot, that quiet time where it's just you and him. Pour out your heart as Jesus poured out his heart.
and then be obedient to his calling. Thank you.